1: Are we ready? Yeah. I'm ready. Okay, here we go.
0: Ready.
1: Welcome to an HBC special report. I'm John Adams along with Chris Kendall, and we continue with our series, The Untold History of Punk Rock. Chris, my friend, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing not too bad. Pretty good. How you guys doing? Yeah. Uh, we're doing good here. Um, well, tonight we are going to, uh, be catching up with the Four Horses' Asses of the Apocalypse blog. And, um, I am one of the Four Horses' Asses, uh, along with the artist formerly known as Nino210 out of, Ah, uh, Colorado. There, say hello, Nino. Hello. Uh, we have Mr. Uh, Richard Destroy from Arizona. How are you doing tonight, Rich?
0: Feeling good. How's it going? Good.
1: And uh, Kyle Mason down there in Orlando. Uh, his handle on the site is uh, Free Masonic Youth, or uh, otherwise known as Not So Freemason, as well. So, Mr. Mason. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good. The Mason-Dixon line is is actually named after Kyle.
2: His <laughs> family made Mason jars.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. Totally off subject. Just started it off, but uh, Chris, did you hear? Um, I, I just have to say this because it was so ludicrous. On one of the past episodes of No. no they were bringing up, like, the how the popularity of the name Mason is, like, in, in vogue again. And they never even touched on the fact that it be, could be possible because of Freemasons. Who was saying this? Dvorak and Curry. They were, like, oh, saying, yeah, wh- I, I wonder why the name Mason is so popular right now. And like they're going through all of these reasons why it could be popular, but never ever mention Freemasonry.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, I think <laughs> it, is it because Mason jars are coming back
1: and yeah. Uh, they even sa- yeah. they even said that they even oh, said right. that they said oh well Mason jar Mason jars are getting popular again. Maybe it's because of Mason jars. <laughs> That's yeah, pretty know. funny. Anyway, dude. anyway uh,
3: but real quick, I don't want. I don't want to leave the subject of, of Mason. Is it is it May? As in May's son? That's a... May's son? Born in May? I don't know. Glenn Keeley impression. I was trying to do
1: it. Oh, Chris? <laughs> no, Chris he, what, what Keeley says is Ma's son. Son of mother.
3: <laughs>
1: I thought it was May. Son of Ma. Ma's son, no, right? he... He's, he says, Mother Earth, your son of Mother Earth, Ma's
0: son. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Anyway. Yeah. We, we're
1: here. We're here to uh, discuss. Um, discuss some other tidying here. Um, it's been quite a while since we've uh, had an episode of Untold History of Punk Rock, and this is actually the first time we've had. Um, all four horses' asses on one call and um, all four researchers. If anybody's not familiar with the blog, The Four Horses' Asses of the Apocalypse or the untold history of punk rock um, episodes that we've done, um, it's based around research into social engineering and using punk rock uh, music and the punk rock scene as a tool of social engineering and so you can go to four horses blog at blogspot.com or four horses ask the apocalypse at blogspot.com and um, check out all that stuff. And uh, we've come up collectively with uh, some very, very good information. I just want to say um, I'm glad that uh, we've been able to do this and uh, put together a whole bunch of really interesting information, um, not just the information that I've put out there, but you guys have, I mean, found some amazing stuff. I have to say like, I haven't, I haven't even found anywhere as close to the stuff that you guys have all found collectively. So I just, you know, congratulations on, on your great research. So thank you, sir. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, uh, Kyle, you did a good job on Tim Kelly's uh, show the other night with, a. Uh, your uh, interview so kudos to that um uh, basically uh you know i want to go through and ask everybody individually um and then uh maybe chris wants to chime in here too is and i'll start i'll start with um with nino uh what is some interesting stuff that we haven't talked about that you want to touch on a little bit um, some interesting information that we've dug up since maybe the last time we've done a call.
2: Um, well, um, I think we, we've talked a little bit about Harley Flanagan and I think we talked about his connections to Ginsburg, his mother's connections to Harry Everett Smith being his quote unquote spiritual wife, um. We've made a lot of. Uh, I think I made all those connections already in previous calls, but I did a little um, further research while researching some psychology. I came across just some strange ideas, and um, it it prompted me to do some more research into Harley, but focusing primarily on his mother, Rose uh, Rosebud Tet. and I found a, a whole new iceberg of uh, crazy stories that she's attached to semi-distantly but still uh, the story's great and um, I guess what we'll start with is I picked up research on Harley's mom and was able to connect her to a commune called the
1: Carista commune Now now before, before we before you go into that, hold on so commune so just for the listening audience Harley Flanagan is He's the singer of the cro right? Singer and bass player. Yeah. Okay. So there was a band, there was a hardcore band, one of the first hardcore bands from New York City. This is post, this is post-punk. This is post-first uh, wave punk rock stuff. It's moved into the hardcore realm. And the, basically one of the first hardcore bands is a, Hardcore band from New York called the Cromags, and their singer bass player is Harley Flanagan. And he and the Cro-Mags not only were a hardcore band, they were a Krishna, a Hari Krishna hardcore band. <laughs> All right, so go go ahead.
2: And just to throw some more pepper on the steak, um, Harley is credited for being one of the founders of hardcore, or one of the earliest forefathers of hardcore actually at the age of like 12 when he was in the stimulators and he's considered like the father of New York hardcore, which is like this really stompy, a lot more metal edged, uh, rips, um, version like sick of it all. And, uh, cro and, um, uh, quite a few other bands, but, uh, another, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the call, but Harley is also credited with being the first American skinhead. He is credited with being the very first skinhead, uh, and he helped get the skinhead movement started in New York um, by posting ads in punk rock fanzines, advertising skinhead <laughs> skinhead pictures from uh, the United Kingdom. And right. he threw through, through those magazines, he was able to get a little posse together, and it grew and grew, and then it became nationwide, and then it became fashion various. Forms of skinheadery came along like anti racist, um, white power, fascist, um, straight edge, skinhead. There's all these different factions of skinheadery going on, but Harley Flanagan is credited um, uh, by himself and nobody contends it to be the very first American skinhead. So I think that's all important. That's all those. These lexicon changing events and introductions of ideas and labels, I think is the most important
1: element of this research. When we start to see the patterns. Right. I I think, um, I think, um, just for the listening audience, I want to mention, uh, if you want to hear Nino actually talk more in depth about that particular subject, he did a great interview with Jay Dyer. So you go look that one up. I think you talked about that on your call with Jay. So, um, so yeah, so his um, his mother, uh, Rosemary, and, and Harley would then be Rosemary's baby, wouldn't she, or he? And um, <laughs> yeah, so a, th- so yeah, then talk Rosemary. talk, yeah, talk about the uh, commune that uh, she was involved with.
2: Okay, so I'll give you just a little bit of the story. So I kind of was tracing Harley's mom around and. I found these stories where she um, showed up on Ginsburg's doorstep looking for a place to live. So she lived there with him. Um, She brought a friend. um, And this friend, I, I think, I know that the name is Stephen Bornstein, but I don't know if it's like the famous Stephen Bornstein, but I have a hunch it is. But she showed up with Stephen Bornstein on Ginsburg's door after running away from the commune, and Bornstein became one of um, uh, Ginsburg's boys, Allen's boys. That's what they're called, and probably in his teens. It's stream versus pedophilia, like an older consenting boy in this case. Um, but so, yeah, I traced Harley's mom to this commune or Allen Ginsberg's doorstep. And then I was like, okay, when did they meet? And I guess he met her in commune and that I'd never heard of called Caristas. So I started digging into the Caristas. And the first we should start is with a founder. <clears throat> and the founder's name is John Peltz Presmont, or also known as. Bro Judd. And <laughs> Bro Judd right out of the gate is uh is awesome. He uh I gotta find the uh, appropriate quotes, but I'm just gonna read a couple paragraphs here. John Peltz Pressmont, commonly known as Judd, was born January ninth, nineteen twenty three to Rose Prismont and Joseph Lavish, who are Russian immigrants from Ukraine. He was adopted by his maternal aunt and uncle Ian and Max Peltz who Orthodox Jews, and grew up as Jacob Peltz in Brooklyn, New York. He attended Boys High School in Brooklyn and worked as a sales manager uh, selling encyclopedias. At the tender age of 17, Judd enlisted in the military and later entered active duty in the Army Air Corps on January 13, 1943. He attended Army Air Force Intelligence School and Combat Observer School. He served as a combat liaison officer in battles and campaigns in the Philippine islands, uh, new Guinea and the Bismarck archipelago. So I just wanted to make that quick link that he goes directly to air force intelligence school. And he also was in observer school key to all the communes is their experiments. They're all always an experiment and there's always an observer and there's always an agenda. Um, but, yeah, so Joe Brudd comes from Air Force Intelligence School. He decides to start this commune. And I'm going to, just for brevity, because I know there's multiple people here. I could probably talk about this for two hours. But um, just going into what actually happened um, with the is they, they had a new tribe and an old tribe. And um, the old tribe is when, like, uh Ginsburg and Harley's mom were kicking around and also a, a man that we've talked about named Carry Wendell Thornley um, he actually started the LA chapter of the Carista Commune in uh, 1966
1: um, and Kerry Wend- Wendell, Thornley-, Wendell Thornley is the creator of Discordianism <laughs>
2: yep, and and he was the guy to write a book about Lee Harvey Oswald before Lee Harvey Oswald killed the president. <laughs> Are you Wait a minute,
3: wait a minute, wait a minute. You said he wrote a book about Lee Harvey Oswald killing Kennedy before he killed Kennedy. We talked about this before. I, remember, I, was, trying no, to, I was trying to remember to go back no. to that. No, he oh, just I wrote thought, a biography even, on it. Oh, okay, yeah. right, right. He wrote I did some stories about him. I see, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Because this came up before. I was, I was thinking this was something else. Uh, no, it, it, he wrote a biography on but Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> even when Lee Harvey Oswald yeah. was yeah. just a total unknown and was like just some guy, what? Uh, it's yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Bizarre. Okay.
2: I've I've watched a bunch of videos of Carrie Wendell Thornley. There's a bunch of videos with the guy on YouTube. And one chunk of videos, he he goes on to the interviewer and says he thinks Robert Anton Wilson is his handler. And so, I mean, I believe that to be probably the most accurate thing I've heard in my research is for somebody to say, I have a handler, and here's his name, and it happens to be Robert Anton Wilson. <laughs> um, and that's coming from Kerry Wendell Thorne's mouth himself in interviews. Like, you can watch him say these words so i'm like wow that's pretty interesting and i've heard um the idea that they he was handled to be around harvey oswald and also and groomed or was um intended to be his double and again i'm just I, i don't Know this all to be true. This is Jerry Wendell Thornley, but yeah, he. I, if I understand his language right, he believes Robert Anton Wilson was his handler, and he was intended to be Lee Harvey's Lee Harvey Oswald's double. And um, and that's about the. I don't know too too much details of Thornley's activities in Texas at that time. I haven't looked into that yet, but still. Um, they both had some things in common, Thornley and Oswald, like the, the, the commie rhetoric and, and such. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, to me, that's a red flag. Cause again, Wendell thinks he's, he's, a, he's being handled by the CIA already. So, um, yeah, so that's the, the news, the old school. And then, I then just,
1: just, to add, just to add thing. a little bit, just to add a quick little thing there. So, um, just from what I know, because this is all based out of Southern California, Carrie Wendell Thornley. I know he lived out here in Los Angeles and he was, um, there was a bowling alley in Whittier, California, where I used to live. And allegedly they came up with the idea for Discordianism right there in Whittier, California, which interestingly enough, that was where Richard Nixon lived. Um, I just, just coincidentally, I, I don't know if that means anything. Um, a lot of weird stuff seems to happen in Whittier. It might be some sort of um, Quaker spook town, considering John, John Greenleaf Whittier is a Quaker uh, poet. Um, yeah. And not too far away, uh, you know, you got Robert and Anton Wilson and who lived down the road in Fullerton, California? None other than Philip K. Dick. Hmm. So. Yes.
2: Is Santa Cruz close to that area?
1: No, that's like seven hours away.
2: Okay, yeah, I don't know that. I, was just, I found I made some um, really—they're new too, allegedly, because people are kind of going nuts. But I made some new serial killer connections in Santa Cruz oh, that cool. are Dave McGowan esque. I remember that some other time or whatever. But
1: nice. Um, yeah, well, uh, yeah, we got plenty of serial killer serial killers out here. That's for sure. <laughs> Alleged serial killers will say that, but um, yeah, yeah. So, 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 Carrie Wendell Thornley started the commune branch out here on the West Coast, and then um, the commune branch on the East Coast. Harley Flanagan's mom was in that commune.
2: No, all right. So, let me give you a little better. Um, sorry, I, I guess I didn't describe it well. So, it was started in New York in yes. the fifties actually right but history doesn't get it started for like more than a decade and a half later harley's mom i believe was in the san francisco commune because they had a san francisco chapter and then kelly or carrie went before they started the la chapter but the very uh very beginnings were in new york actually
1: okay got it yeah got um, it so
0: but uh, and I, I was going to say, also interesting with that along the lines of that, uh, you know, we found stuff saying Harley Flanagan also was kind of behind or at the beginnings of what became known as the San Francisco Skins as well. So it, it's like another chapter starting up over, over in that neck of the woods, you know?
1: Interesting. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and
2: it's it's apparent. That he was trying to set him up because the very first little click in New York was um, collected through punk zine ads. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. so it, it's not like, oh, it's coincidental. Right. He was recruiting from the very minute he got back from Ireland. And he actually, just that's an interesting note, too. He was christened a skinhead in Ireland and came over and started spreading whatever he was christened.
1: Yeah, that that'd be an interesting thing to look at too, to see if he has any connection to like, um, <clears throat> uh, what's the dude? What's the singer's name from Screwdriver? Ian something. But like, like that whole movement, that whole like, that's a weird. That's a weird thing in and of itself. Is to connect all of a sudden this racial connotation got connected with the skinheads because you know people don't know the history of kind of skinheads in Jamaica it's funny because they they became associated with working class uh, you know ska music uh, second like kind of and then later like second wave ska music but it was it was really like originally they would call people skinheads because they used to shave their head so they wouldn't get lice in the factories huh. and um, then blue
2: working class thing
1: yeah, and then and then that started to have some sort of pride behind it, Like, oh, this shows that I'm working class, and you know, they started wearing their flight jackets with the with the boots and the you know, and their braces and all that type of stuff. But that was only that was only um, a symbol of of being proud of being working class, right? And then some somehow, when it made its way over to England, because England is always you know, with music, uh just in in the music scene alone england England has always been infatuated with Jamaica and so um and there's lots and there's lots well, yeah, but I'm saying just musically speaking, like you know kid, yeah. kids growing up would in the sixties were into ska music. Like like they were, and they'd play ska music on the radio. So so somehow that made its way over there, and then it got totally flipped into being racist skinheads, white power guys. It's weird. It's so bizarre. Remember, uh, skinheads used to
2: yeah, be a big deal in the nineties.
1: Oh oh yeah, and and you know what? That stuff all came out. That that's all feds that when when it became big here in the 90s and i would say even in the hardcore movement like it all came out that that stuff was like you know what was it there was there was an article years ago where it said fbi skinheads bust other fbi skinheads <laughs> no, was probably... no that's no that's that's the way it is with all these groups the clan
3: the skinheads yeah. all that they're all thoroughly it, i mean it's all yeah it's all it's all feds. Yeah, and they, it's,
1: and like, that, doing it's like that movie. It's like that movie, The Departed, where every where it turns out everybody in the crew it works for the FBI and they're all ratting each other out, right? Oh and yeah, then, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I yeah, and that's that that's, yeah, that's that's weird. what it's like with with the, with you know biker gangs and white power skinhead guys. But um, uh, was Richard or Kyle gonna say something? Hello? Are they on?
4: I
0: haven't found it. Hello? Can you hear me? I'm... Hello? Yeah, go. Hello? Oh, okay. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, with, uh, with Harley Flanagan, I don't think he's uh, necessarily associated with, you know, white supremacist skinheads or anything like that from what I've seen. And I actually was just listening to an interview with John Joseph, who was the singer of the Crow mags and... He, he, I don't think he was really trying to take the claim as being the first skinhead, but he was, he said, so they were talking about him being an early skinhead, and he was saying how, you know, nobody was a skinhead, he was like the first skinhead. Like I said, I don't think he was trying to steal anything from Harley, but, you know, I mean, they were in the same band and associated with the same stuff. And But he did specify, you know, it wasn't about white supremacist and all that stuff that that it came to be known as. So I think that it's important to to clarify, you know, that I don't, you know, I, I, unless, unless you know, you know otherwise, if you come across something else, I don't think... I oh, do. Okay, do <laughs>
2: <laughs> so if you look at Harley with his shirt off and all those wicked tattoos he has, of which that giant dragon he got when he was a child, um, if you look on one of his shoulders, yeah. he has... One eight tattooed on there, and that's uh that's white power. White one eight okay. is for A H uh, A-H, Adolf Hitler.
0: Okay. Uh,
2: so, wow. And, 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 and you, know, know, what, you know what else you know what else is known symbol tattooed on his body for white power, and you know. it came on later in life too. It came on as like a mature adult because I kind of tried to figure out when he got it. Um, he didn't get it when he was the first American skinhead. It came on
1: later in life you know, you know what else is weird is okay. because of and I, I think you i think you've made this connection before i don't know if you made it on a call but you know either you or i talking privately may have is that this theos- this theosophical connection in here
0: <laughs>
1: right you know the hari krishna yeah. the, the theosophy and and all the you know the weirdo uh stuff just happens to line up with white power stuff again, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And Christianus shit.
1: Yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty coincidental, I'd say.
3: I like uh Jan Irving's expression yeah. for that is theo sophistry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which totally yeah. makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so we've got theosophy and uh hari krishnas and white power all coming into this
3: um well they were like the original alt writers well i mean the alt it's it's i'm just thinking about how this stuff gets continually resurrected out there in the press and and all that and then uh they had that movie american history x and that came out in the late 90s and i remember yeah because skinheads were like a like a big deal you know like oh the skinheads and then you don't hear too much about skinheads anymore do you i don't know i mean i haven't heard much about them
1: not at all and that and that yeah. movie that movie you know it's so ridiculous that's such a ridiculous movie but um just to tell people how stupid and ridiculous that movie is is there's nowhere in Venice Beach where skinheads are going to play the black guys for the court in basketball,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, the, you know, it's just like when that
2: and score,
1: yeah, yeah. And when that scene, when that scene came on, like you know, the skins are gonna play the black guys for the court. And I'm like, oh my gosh, dude, Hollywood's like five miles away, and they don't even know like how it works down there. Like, <laughs> 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 I don't yeah. know, white
2: guys can't jump.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was just, it was just so stupid. It was, you know, it, it was an entertaining movie. Don't get me wrong. You know, I mean, I think that's the first time anybody, uh, you know, pretty much figured out what curbing someone was. Yeah, right, yeah. right in. You put somebody's face do you, down.
2: Do you remember that movie? There's another skinhead movie that came a little bit after, a couple years after, called The Believer, and it had Ryan Gosling in it.
1: Yeah, I remember seeing ads for that, but I never saw that movie, yeah.
2: And Russell Crowe, one of his earliest movies... Romper Stomper. Called Romper Stomper. Romper, Romper.
1: Stomper,
0: yeah.
1: yeah. That's
2: a good, that's a good I,
0: I
1: play.
0: Yeah. yeah. Apparently he's like, he, it's it's kind of an embarrassment or something on it. I guess he plays that one down, from what I've heard.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, it's definitely yeah, so, I mean, a, and that one, that movie actually has, I mean, that has a bunch. I I know Screwdrivers played in that movie. That it's got more of a punk sort of, or whatever, skin punk, whatever, uh, sort of relevance
1: to it. I think. Yeah, you know what's you know what else is interesting though is like if you go on, like the the Nazi thing in just punk in general, like even, you know. Screwdriver is kind of early, you know. They're kind of early, uh, late seventies, um, but like seventy-seven around that time. And then they weren't even really a racist band at the beginning, right? Uh, their their, fir- their first album doesn't have any racist stuff on it, and then the second album, third album, they start getting yeah. the, the 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 stuff like that. And then, um, but it's funny that if you go into like, you know second wave 80s punk, right, like, like LA surf punk or something like that, you know, circle jerks or whatever, um, you go, you go and watch some of those street documentaries that people were making, that the, just kids walking around wearing swastika shirts, um, yeah. the, you know, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty much like people would do it, like, I wouldn't say that they were necessarily doing it to because they weren't racists you know because I guess you could technically say in some in some way that the society itself where people would do something like that was technically quote unquote racist but they were kind of more doing it to make people angry yeah
2: yeah right like realism or ...or reverse behind the back deals. Yeah, so... so,
0: so and in that interview I was looking into with John Joseph, he he mentioned that, like, wearing a, a swastika on a, a Sex Pistols swastika t-shirt, and, and a girl that he met up with being offended by it because she was Jewish, and he was just like, well, I don't give a fuck about all that, like, blah, 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 and... You know, it was just to shock people. He was very emphatic that he was just doing it to just piss people off and shock people. And then him and that girl ended up being a thing or something. So it was like, you know, they saw past this plastic I guess. <laughs> that's
1: where I get all my girlfriends. It's it's interesting too because like um the there's some of those interviews from those old punk documentaries where um where people are saying like people who you would consider. You know, in this day and age, in our current day and age, but, you know, back then as well, um, that they would be liberal left-wingers. And there's interviews with people saying, you know, where they're saying, well, why are you wearing, you know, why are you wearing this Nazi symbol? And they're like, they're like, well, you know, because like, like you're saying, Rich, well, yeah, I want to shock people. And if people don't like it, they can F off, right? And it's like there's no way today any liberal left-winger be caught dead wearing a swastika.
0: Yeah.
1: In fact, they would be the ones who would be shocked if someone was wearing one. Yeah. So that's a pretty, And, and like Nino and I were talking about privately the other day is like, how through down through time over you know ages and ages no matter what it is you can just flip people back and forth back and forth on beliefs or ideas you know just just real quick just to give you an example it's like church going christian women helped usher in planned parenthood <laughs>
2: black ministers helped bring them to harlem you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so tough. Yeah, um what uh, yeah.
0: uh. <laughs> All right.
1: so any 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 more stuff on uh Harley there before we um uh, I think I think we'll let Kyle go next since he probably has yeah. The- He's let me just
2: jam this in. Can, can you hear me?
4: Yeah. yeah.
2: All right, yeah, let me just jam it in. I was kind of going slow. So I'll just hyper hyperspeed this because i got to get a few of these stories out. Um, and what I'll do is just give you this little timeline I have. Um, quickly, uh, John Presmont was born in 1923. That's the military intelligence guy that founded it in the 50s. Uh, a woman named Susan first got also known as Eve for Scott, also known as Even Eve was born. 1956, Brother Judd had a vision in which he was told to found a sexually experimental intentional community. Old tribe Carista began. Uh, 1962, Brother Judd had a vision of an island called Carista, and henceforth the, the, that name was used by the community. 1965, Robert Anton Wilson visited Carista in New York and published an article on the group in Fact Magazine. Um, let me just jump there real quick, um, just to highlight it. So I just want to point this out because we have another uh, technocratic occultist calling some strange movement magic. So we had uh, Stuart Holm call Situationist International, a, a, a form of Kabbalah. We have right here Anton Wilson with this quote right here. The rule of the religion of Carista is the rule of Rabelais, Abbey of Thelema. Do what you will. (laughs) Carista is a religion of joy and freedom, a religion without dogma or restriction, and a religion of ecstasy, for the voice had told Judd the prophet, have a ball, enjoy yourself to the utmost. Okay, so they're connected with Alistair Crowley ideology right there. And that comes from Carrie Wendell Thornley. Um... I need to, I'll speed this up. I want to go back to who even Eve Birchgott is. And she's important because she um, she pretty much was the new tribe. So, actually, sorry, let me just go back to the timeline. So, uh, Robert Anton Wilson visited in 65 and wrote the article. 1966, Carrie Thornley, co founder of Discordianism, joined the LA chapter of Carista. I have other notes saying he founded it. Um, 1970. The old tribe ended. 1971. The new tribe was founded in San Francisco after Brother Judd and Eve Eve even Eve met. Now, even Eve, again, that's um, Susan Furchtott. She...
0: I gotta pull this up here.
2: She's the daughter of a Nobel Prize winning American biochemist who contributed to the discovery of nitric oxide, nitric oxide as a transient cellular signal in mammalian systems and his name was Robert Francis Ferscott. So we have um, the daughter of a Nobel prize winning <laughs> um, doctor and I, he's, he's highly decorated um, going, going ahead and kicking off the new tribe of the Caristas. Um, My timeline is empty now, but I'm going to tell you now what these guys ended up doing. So a couple other random facts. In like 1983, I think it was 83, it became mandatory for all men who joined the Carista commune to get a vasectomy. So that's pretty useless in keeping the community going. But that was mandatory vasectomies. Um, And they also generated income in a very, very incredible way. And when I found this, my mind was blown. It seems the Carisa's um, actually owned and operated a computer store called Abacus in uh, Northern California. And it was the biggest dealer of Apple computers in, uh, in, in, in the whole California region. They did... Let me find the statistics here. Um... All
0: right,
3: sorry guys. While you're looking for that, I want to read uh-huh. the uh, Wikipedia entry on Carista. Carista is a utopian community that was started in New York City in 1956 by John Peltz, pro-judge president. Much of its history, Carista, Carista was centered on the ideals of polyfidelity and creation of intentional communities. I've heard that before. Carista underwent several. Incarnations that later became known as the old tribe, which associated with the large, fairly large but fluid membership. What was called the new tribe, a period of more stable membership and I- ideology. Again, in '71, in the Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco, and then that oh, that recalls all the uh, oh Stewart Brand stuff and how all that was uh, all tied in with the you know the development of the internet and all that. Where where you know he had the uh, what was it the Merry pranksters and all the Kool Aid acid tests and all that stuff tied in hippies and and computers
1: and then now this yes, that's another, then, yeah yeah now, now this hippie now this commune it owns a store that's the biggest seller of Apple computers in California <laughs> wow yeah wow. It says,
2: at its height abacus this is a quote from Wired magazine which is also tied to all those things you just scri- just described wired magazine's kind of a, a a funnel for that stuff but it says at its height abacus generated 35 million in sales employed 125 people and serviced dozens of blue chip corporations like pacific gas and electric united airlines and pacific bell um they also ran like computer um training centers <laughs> sorry in Santa Clara and uh, San Francisco, <laughs> yeah. Um, a couple other just random points. They they actually coined a word, so you know you're they're hot if they coined a word. They coined the word polyamory. They call they also coined the word polyfidelity. Um, and a couple quotes. They wanted an anti-family, an anti-marriage a warm network of unrelated kin with whom they could be faithfully unfaithful. Um, Joan Jett is the matron saint of their community. Um, (laughs) Stranger in a Strange Land is considered the New Testament and is compulsory reading. (laughs) And that's by Robert Heinlein. Oh,
4: man,
1: I wouldn't wouldn't join just for having to read that.
0: (laughs) What a boring-ass book. (laughs) <laughs> and anyone that would deem Joan Jett as a saint, I mean, you know, it's pretty good.
2: Yeah. So uh, intentional <laughs> communities, in a nutshell, just to wrap it up, are they're they're controlled experiments. Um, I got a number of them. That one I started poking with you with like that uh, that guy Mike Metallica. The, that one's going to blow your mind too. If it hasn't, if you didn't already find all those crazy nuggets, like it's it's mind blowing as well, and it's it's linked directly to the OSS. Like the guy, Mike Metallica is linked directly to the OSS, and is the the connection would be Charles Hapgood. So uh, I've been poking around the the com the commune, intentional community, social utopian experiments, and they're all the same operation. And they I don't know if they're still happening. um, An extension, I personally believe, like the Amish, is like an example of the utmost perfect commune situation. And again, when I was talking with Kyle on the phone earlier, I just like we have these gigantic, massive warehouses called Amish furniture stores out here. I don't know; they're probably in quite a few states. But the question becomes: I have one out here too. Where? Where where does all the money go? They're Amish. They live simply. They wear the same clothes for like thirty years. They don't do anything unless they choose to leave the leave the faith on their walkabout time. Um, where does the money go? You know, where did this money go? 35 million annually. Where did it go? Who got it? You know, that's the big question for me. <clears throat> so, yeah, that was my big spiel. The barn. Yeah, um. They raise barns, they don't buy them. That's a barn raisin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. They make them out of hay. And, uh, I, my, my kitchen cabinets are. are... Made
1: up by the Amish. Hmm. Guess they went to Richard.
0: So yeah, that's the punk rock connection
2: to military-controlled social utopian communities that ended up being the first uh, skinhead and Krishna hardcore and abused children
1: connected Ginsberg. There you go. Why is Why is, Jane, why is Joan Jet the the saint?
2: I don't know. She, it's just a stat. She's just the quote is she's the matron saint of I mean she does um, have the
1: MO of like a total like a totally abused like sexually abused child. So uh, wasn't
2: yeah, wasn't uh what's his name? Um Kim Fowler the creepy guy the, the Raller.
1: Kim Fowler. Yeah,
0: Fowley. Kim me? Fowler. It was uh it was the drummer I think that he I
2: know but Joe Jett was present
0: during the rape. Right.
1: Yeah, she was. Yep, she watched. Yeah, I know. I, I wonder. Yep. That's just bizarre. Plays
0: it down now, but
1: yeah. Yeah, that's bizarre. That's some bizarre stuff. Wow. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well,
1: uh, Kyle, you could you could try to top that one. Go ahead. Is Kyle still there?
2: Let's see, he might have had to go Because his wife,
0: I think, gets up work about midnight Hey, uh, can you guys hear me? Yeah Okay, mm-hmm. cool yeah. I, I had my headphones in I, I don't know, I guess they uh, Now the pressure's on
1: Can you hear me? yeah we
0: can I hear
1: you yeah he, he actually Kyle, Kyle, wasn't, Kyle wasn't listening to the call he had he was he was listening to Alex He was kept checking in with the call all <laughs> periodically
3: <laughs> so the carista i guess preceded
0: uh <laughs> the
3: uh preceded the
0: yeah
3: so Kin- um, and all that
0: want to get in into anything quite as,
1: uh... What was that? That he asked if, if the created, uh, the Merry Pranksters. At the same time.
2: Um, got up in 56.
3: 56, okay, cool. yeah, that's, that's like the pre-city New mm-hmm. York. Man, the connection's getting bad. Uh, but uh, yeah, I go. It, it, w- w- was Kyle going to say something? And I,
1: I, it's a. It's around. It's around the same time as those guys are kind of getting started. Oh, okay. K. Ultra was fifty three. You know, but like Keezy, and you know, he writes uh, what one who flew Over the cuckoo's nest. At, um, what is that, fifty eight or fifty nine or something?
4: Okay, so um, that's
1: like a
3: kind of a run-up to all of the
1: Whole Earth Catalog, yeah. Brand Ken Kesey stuff. Le- Leary, <coughs> Leary, Leary, and Alpert, Leary and Alpert get you know kick, quote-unquote kicked out of Harvard to give them to give them street cred with the LSD tests and all that stuff. So, so
3: you you got this theme, and this keeps popping up. It, you remember the Hale Bop cult? That was out there yeah. near Rancho Menard, around not Rancho Menard, some of up up around San Diego, north of San Diego, and so they would have like communal living. They they were renting out this big mansion up there, and I don't know how many, like thirty people in there or something like that. And they would do website development and all that, and they were uh, you know living on the cheap, e- eating cheap, doing all that, like eating popcorn and stuff for instead of meals. And it's all the same shit. It's all this. It's it's the same shit. And they're, and they're just cranking out work. It's like this creased cult. They're 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 like these big computer distributors and all that. And they're a cult. That's something that that that's a reoccurring theme too.
2: Is that the suicide people? Yeah, Are that's they the not website, suicide yeah. themselves. They're allegedly, yeah. Yeah, they're all- Marshall Applewood or I- Applewhite. Applegate. Apple something. Yeah, Apple, Apple,
3: G- Apple in the name. That's Apple interesting. Kate, I think. Apple. I think it was Apple. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. White. That's a clue. It was Heaven's Gate Cult. That's what it was. I, I said Hellbop Cult, but it's... Uh, yep. But, but I remember Heaven's the Gate, Hellbop right. Comet was coming in, and they uh, offed of there was, Of
1: course, there was also Gateway Computers. Gateway Computers. Mm-hmm. Bill Gates.
3: Yeah, I remember Gateway Ooh. Computers used to be big. Gates, Heaven's yeah. Gate, Gates, and uh, yeah, okay.
1: Apple, and Apple, interesting. Yeah. All right. Gateway. Did did Kyle's connection come in? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right, cool. All right,
0: All Kyle. Right. Kyle, My what turn?
1: what have you? Uh, what's what's some stuff you want to talk about?
0: Oh, uh, well, just just the other night. Uh me and me and the old lady uh were you know, debating when when she's here she likes to watch movies and you know, we don't we don't tend to agree on what to watch. I'd rather not watch something, so uh she likes documentaries though, so we ended up uh compromising on something called the uh the anarchist cookbook that uh had just come out on Netflix. And uh you know i told her i'd i'd rather do my own research into this guy cuz i figured you know at some point i would find the nugget uh that would you know to me prove that it's uh it's all horse shit and uh yes yeah, so i i didn't think the documentary would <laughs> would give it to me but we were watching and uh you know the, this guy william powell he well, William Powell Junior, he's the author of the Anarchist Cookbook, uh, which came out at like the height of the counterculture in, in nineteen seventy one. And uh and it it gives most people probably know about it. I I damn near got expelled over an issue with it in high because, you know, I, uh, no, no. can it, I say can
4: I say something? A,
0: yeah, I was just gonna say, uh the reason I even knew about it was through the media uh, after Columbine happened. You know, it was I was like, oh, this is something I need to get my hands on. and uh, So, yeah, that idea even even came from the media. But, yeah, go ahead, John. I was going to say,
1: in the 80s, 90s, growing up out here, anybody who was, if, if you were a skateboarder or you knew somebody who was in a, into punk rock, somebody had a copy of this book. And just to preface this, what what Kyle's going to talk about, I just want to say that you you may know somebody who actually tried to make something out of there. A lot of people just own the book and never did anything with it. Um, But, you know, there's one, somebody, and something would happen. Like, I'm thinking of a particular story where, like, some guy got arrested to try to... Like do something stupid, like make a nail bomb or something. And um, the thing that it came out was that with this book, a lot of the stuff is purposely designed not to work. Sure. And that the feds, like, actually, w- like, you know, you could... I mean, think about this. This book just happens to get out. I'm, I'm telling you right now, it was at, like underground and alternative record stores you can buy it anywhere but they they had it had this like air around it like like you know um when they used to sell it like they would put um they would put like black paper over it like they'd put black paper over the cover and then there'd be like a label saying like anarchist cookbook for sale you know or some, ask about the anarchist <laughs> cookbook yes. and so so um Go ahead.
0: Oh, I was just going to say, like, might as well well say, like, explicit content or parental... Exactly.
1: Exactly. And so, like, you think about it, like, if this was something that was really designed to, like, you know, quote-unquote overthrow the establishment or do some real damage to something, I mean, it would have been... It would have been gone. Right? Yeah, I wouldn't...
2: The show, yeah. yeah. So it okay. So I just want—I just wanted
1: know. to preface that, and I—I've seen things in the past. I've had—I've seen things come out in the past where people had said that the feds put it out on purpose, that so that people would try to do stuff and it would—it would like backfire on them, like the bombs would explode on people.
2: Yeah. I—I <laughs> I just want to throw in that I bought mine from a, a store in the mall called the Naked Edge Cutlery. And they sold, like, high-end kitchenware and um, swords and nunchucks and Chinese stars and the Anarchist Cookbook. And I bought mine in the 80s at a mall. <laughs> and and the dry, and the pipe bomb recipe is sound, you know. It's like... <laughs> that one's sound. <laughs> so, you've heard, so you've heard. so you've heard. I'll
0: let you no, know. I didn't try it. Oh.
2: Tony Varela tried.
0: It. It, <laughs> is it? Is it? Is it? Has it changed now? Whatever you can get now, is that not the same as the original pressings or something?
4: I, don't I know. think it
0: is. I bet you, Really? Okay. I was up in a book, I was at a bookstore last summer up in uh, Seattle area, and well, in Seattle itself, and. Um, I was at a bookstore and the, uh, somebody came in asking the guy if, if they had the anarchist cookbook, and he kind of laughed, and I kind of laughed to myself, and and he said something about it not being, I, I could have sworn when he said something about it not being what the something about not being the original or it's 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 it's, it's much censored now or something like that. I thought he said funny. Hmm. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Kyle. Sorry to interrupt you. Yep. Yeah. No, it's all good. Um yeah so we I went into it expecting them to mask what what I thought would be the nugget uh, but no they they straight out came and said that the uh the author uh uh William Powell that his father worked for the United nations, and uh by that time the old lady was asleep i was I was nudging her like, oh my did you hear that like I, I told you uh so, yeah, I went and looked into it a little deeper, and I, I found in his um, obituary at the L.A. Times that you know, the, the, the father of the anarchist cookbook is uh, author with the media voice for the United Nations uh, <laughs> during the reigns of Kurt Waldheim and uh, Thornton. And he was a member of the staff that organized the first UN meetings in London in 1945. Uh, so I mean, a, a dialectic there for you that you go from world government to anarchy in uh, <laughs> one generation.
1: Uh,
0: so yeah, he was, he was he was press spokesman too. So you know, his his, his father was was working with the, all these press connections uh, at the Press and Publications Division of the U.N., uh, Office of Public Information. Uh, yeah, he was chosen to help generate the agenda of the first U.N. Assembly. Uh, yeah, just crazy, crazy history with uh, forming the United Nations I
3: mean uh so this guy William I Powell even, uh, is the father of probably. the guy who wrote the anarchist he's the father of the guy who wrote the anarchist cookbook the, William Powell
0: exactly wow yep they they share the same name William Powell Jr. and uh, yeah, senior and, yeah, and so uh that was seventy one that the book was published. By uh, 1979, uh, the author uh, William Powell, you know, Jr. He left the the country, left the United States. Uh, and this is according to Newsweek. He started bouncing around uh, the Middle East, Africa, and Asia, working as a teacher and administrator in a series of state private schools. So. If he was some kind of threat, uh, yeah, how, how was he getting hired at, uh, all these State Department backed private schools is, uh, no. beyond my imagination.
3: And then his book is sold at, like, freaking Hot Topic or something, in the mall. That's not, uh, yeah, that's not, uh, count, uh yeah, it's quite, quite counterculture when you, when you could pick up this book around it in, uh, Was it Barnes and Noble or somewhere?
1: But No, no, wait, real quick. Here's one thing that they've always done, um, especially with a lot of uh, the the fake nonsense. And I'll give you an example here. This is out of a New York Times uh, article about William Powell when he died. Now, this is how they use this, okay? So it's always in the back of your mind. Um... It says, Mr. Powell seemed to struggle to absorb the idea that his book had apparently had an influence on a number of notorious criminals. One was Zvanko Busik, Croatian nationalist who hijacked a TWA flight in 1976 while carrying phony bombs after leaving a real one at Grand Central Terminal that killed a police officer. Others include Thomas Spinks, who was part of the group that bombed abortion clinics in the 1980s, Timothy McVeigh. Eric Harris, one of the Columbine attackers, mm-hmm. and Jared Lee Lofner.
2: Yeah.
1: Right? So yep. you've got you've got all these um fake events, whether, you know, they were, you know playing themselves out as real, they weren't real like grassroots, somebody just, you know, decided to pick up a copy of the anarchist cookbook and then go, you know, be a terrorist. These are all contrived events. Um and And what they do is they'll throw in the anarchist cookbook for like part of the movie script for part of the you know it's part of the script there. It's always got to be there to because it's something like like Chris has made points like this with other things and uh, that happened in these events. It's kind of like um something you your your um your mind's attached to. it's like, oh, I'm attached to this idea that the anarchist cookbook equals, like, grassroots terror. So it gets thrown into the story so you can make that association with it. Mm-hmm. Right. You see what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And
1: yeah. it's like, you well, know...
0: I'm not you... thinking, wasn't it in Bowling for Columbine, too? The film wasn't... Didn't they talk about that?
1: Yeah, they did. They did. It's in the Yeah, and and, and so what it is, it's like, you know, yeah, he was a bad man and he was, you know he you know, he's a white supremacist and he owned a copy of the anarchist cookbook. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now supposedly
3: it so. teaches you how to make bombs and uh I've never looked at it, but is it it and it goes into uh yeah, how to make bombs or how to sabotage stuff and do uh do mischief <laughs> Bad stuff.
0: which is of course synonymous with anarchy.
3: And synonymous with anarchy. Yeah, cuz and then that defines anarchy, which is another interesting thing how that supports and bolsters a system by defining well a- anarchy a-, a lot of the I I don't consider myself an anarchist or any other label for that matter, but a lot of people who do identify as anarchists don't even have any kind of inclination towards like overthrowing the government through violence. That's not even part of the program but, but but then you got this association building going on with anarchist cookbook and all that down through the you know several decades and then it yeah so it's to the point now where anybody brings up anarchism and then that immediately is going to be brought to mind oh yeah oh you want to go blow shit up oh okay it's like no it's not even yeah but that's yeah i think that's that's a uh, yeah an important point John brought up there, yeah, the association building with that idea.
2: Have you guys heard of the poor man's James Bond? That was uh, like a counterpart to the anarchist cookbook. Have you guys heard of that? No. I never did. Yeah, so that was written by Kurt Saxon. And a little note on Kurt Saxon during the sixties Saxon drifted into and out of several political organizations and new religious movements, including American Nazi Party, John Birch Society, The Minutemen, Church of Scientology, and The Church of Satan. So that guy, <laughs> Kurt Saxon, wrote the the counterpart, uh, I think in
1: the eighties. Yeah, he and it was well, I, I would, James Bond. He he was in like every like right wing group you could think of right there.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah every sub sub right wing he covered them all right there well um <laughs> yeah so what so what did you find, so um so like you're saying Kyle in one generation you've got you know the the speaker at the at the UN and then um it goes on you know his son goes on to be the guy who writes the anarchist cookbook what else uh, from there what, what did you think was interesting
0: Oh, you know, just, just his persona, uh, he, he took on this revolutionary kind of, uh, appearance and, uh, I, I found pictures that it it looked like he was, he was trying to be a a dead ringer for Che Guevara. Um, but you know, I, I thought the the same thing as, as you guys were saying about, you know, all the, the different, uh, you you put a, you put it in the possession of all these so-called perpetrators of, uh, of crimes and and you build, uh, an association, a a lot of different associations. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's, uh, his whole story kind of came off as, uh, as, as bunk, like, uh, just every every so often, he'd make some kind of statement about how he doesn't uh, he doesn't have those same feelings. He doesn't back the book anymore, and and yet he was still like taking the money from it. And I don't know. It I just don't buy it from, from the beginning.
1: Yeah, he he lived to be a um, a ripe old age without anything ever happening to him for it. <laughs> yeah seem seem to be a um, which which is not uh which you know as as we've discussed here which is um not uncommon um anything else uh, recently that you uh, wanted to bring up
0: oh uh, well i i found this guy um i i actually listened to uh he's in a punk band called party animal, uh, out of the Bay area, um, uh, San Francisco. Uh, and, uh, but I, I listened to him for his, uh, rap music. Uh, his name's cool. A D, uh, spelled with a K and yeah, I found, uh, you know, I, have been, I've been weary of him and suspicious. Uh, he, he talks a lot about, uh, hallucinogenics and, uh, just different, like esoteric kind of things. And it seems like that's, uh, both of those are kind of agendas right now. So, uh, just made me a little cautious and, but I, I I've still been listening to them and I, I pulled up a podcast, uh, hoping, you know, maybe I'd find something cause I've, I've been searching for a long time. And even, even when I first met Nino, uh, I asked them like, hey, can you look into this guy? I know there's something out there. Uh, but, yeah, about a week after the podcast came out, I, I listened to it, and he, uh, he dropped the name of his grandmother at the same time, talking about how she lived in Rome and was an author. So I thought, okay, you know, now I've got this name, uh, which is Claire Sterling. Uh, and I, I looked her up, and sure enough, uh, connected... CIA, uh, connected to MI6, just, uh, propaganda. Uh, the first thing I found her connected to was the overseas news agency, uh, which was run out of, uh, 30 rock, uh, Rockefeller center. And, uh, it was set up by the, by MI6 to, um, in like 1940, yeah, 1940 to propagandize, the uh, the American public and uh, towards like a pro British uh, preparing for World War One uh, and also then shipping that uh, propaganda back overseas to to England as if it was uh, you know credible news so yeah I found her she's working there and uh, then I I found she she wrote a book uh, called the the time of the assassins uh, by Claire Sterling, in which she proposed what came to be known as the Bulgarian connection, and uh, yeah, the uh, the Bulgarian connection was was a, a theory that her and and two other authors proposed at the all at the same time, but she was the first uh, to do it in a Reader's Digest article. Uh, but in which they uh, they theorize that the assassination attempt on Pope John Paul II was perpetrated by the Bulgarian Secret Service uh, on behalf of uh, Russia. So this is in um, 1981, uh, just total total Cold War propaganda. And so the other two authors that uh, proposed this theory were Paul Bernard Hens, former CIA and uh, National Security Council specialist in psychological operations, uh, propaganda expert, and CIA station chief in Turkey. And Mm -hmm. so the other guy was Michael Leiden. He was the third to propagate the theory, and he served in the Carter administration as deputy to National Security security advisors the big new Brzezinski may he rest in peace uh so yeah and it it came out that that whole that whole uh theory was was bunk and just totally propagated by the CIA which she wrote another book called the terror network that was along the same lines uh associating many different uh terrorism things with uh with Russia and the Soviet Union and connected with William Casey, Alexander Haig. Uh, but yeah, so then I, I uh, confronted him about it. Uh, I had messaged him before uh, over Instagram, so I, I figured, you know, what the heck, take, take a book out of uh, a page out of the Chris Kendall book and just try to politely ask questions and, Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing wrong with, with that. I've got this information. I've got these questions, and I've got a I've got a line to, to talk to this guy. So I, I asked him, "What's up?" And he kind of kind of just said that the um, that he thought the publishers kind of inflated the, the story, her stories and stuff. It he wasn't giving me a real answer, so I, I hit him with more facts. You know, kind of the stuff I just. Told you guys about and sent him links and he responded back and said, "Hey, you want me to to address this? Send me a hundred dollars and and to make a song about it, uh, which he did." And <laughs> I, I, got, I I like it. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't totally. Uh, I mean, he says CIA in it and it talks about money is fake and and governments are fake, capitalism is fake, so. He, he, he won me though. Just, uh, just to don't to the, judge end. him on his family. Yeah, I mean, I gave him the benefit of the doubt, but right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean those you know, are um, hard a pretty. A question heavy. I don't think I. Uh, I was gonna say a question I had thought of that with that, and I don't think I ever asked you about it was because wasn't the whole thing like he he dropped her name by saying that was like one of the, one of his favorite authors it was his grandma. That was, and I think I thought it, you know, like, why, why? Because, I mean, what, like, what is it that was so great or whatever that he was so interested in, her writing, like, with that stuff, like, the stuff you just talked about and everything, it's like, why would that even be your favorite author, you know? I thought that was odd. She she wrote another book called Octopus, uh, and that's the book he referenced that he really enjoyed. And the book Octopus... uh, kind of uh asserts that the mafia are the ones um and it's supposed to be a history of mafia control of drug trade in the united states (laughs) so i mean i think uh i think he omitted the whole cia angle of of drug trade
4: so i can see how
0: that's just another limited hangout but that's the one he's into of course because it's the drug one Hmm. Yeah.
3: Interesting.
0: Do you, know, well. so you have
3: a link to that? Can you send me a uh, link to that song? you want to put it on, it on, on. the uh, end of this call? <clears throat> is it Yes.
0: Uh, yeah, so uh, email it to you?
3: Yeah, if you just send it as an email attachment or something, that would work. All right,
0: cool. Hmm. It's a good rap you, you got there for, you know, I thought it was a pretty good rap. Well, yeah, I, mean, I think it was worth it. Yeah, for sure, man.
1: If you go on Goodreads, Octopus has 33 ratings and three reviews. <laughs> 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 um, all right. Yeah, that's, that's some bizarre stuff. That is definitely uh, bizarre.
2: Uh, oh boy,
1: <clears throat> anything else you uh, want to uh, add before we ask uh, Richard what's on his mind?
0: No, nope, that's about it.
3: I don't want to jump ahead, but I was wondering if you guys are going to go into the uh, all these the connections there in that article I've read. I read most of this. I got diverted off on something else and then I didn't actually finish the enti- it, in, it in its entirety. But the uh, what is it? Lit- Liturgy, the Billionaire, Black Metal Band, JFK, and Assassination, and Iran Contra. That's pretty crazy. Is going all this and then HL uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's Kyle.
1: That's Kyle's, that's Kyle's article there. You want to um, just briefly uh, tell Chris exactly what that is? for the audience yeah did
3: you go into that sure. with tim or
1: uh, uh I, I mean if that's if that's some no, stuff no, you've
3: already covered then i can post that or because i i still haven't got no, uh, yet. Yeah.
1: we haven't um we haven't covered that on any calls i don't think kyle's ever talked about that that might have to be an episode oh yeah yeah probably
3: because <laughs> it's this is this is pretty intense yeah it
1: i i wonder
3: <laughs> if you could look into uh Okay, H.L. Hunt, and then there's uh, J.B. Hunt is the uh, he's the owner of the of the biggest large container shipping company on the planet, which is based out of Arkansas, mm-hmm. and um, that mm-hmm. they've got to be there's, there's got to be a connection there. But I, I I went to go look up to see if there you know was any direct connection, and uh, the only thing I found was on a forum saying that yeah they're related, and this was just anecdotal. It was something that. Somebody referenced um, uh, it, were, it, were, it was a friend of the family type situation and and then they said yes we're definitely related to h l. Hunt and it was somebody related to j b hunt but uh there yeah there's a mm-hmm. lot of uh, lot of the hunt family in arkansas uh, they're they're all over the place but it but yeah it, it, maybe not so coincidentally that's that's the stronghold of the Rockefeller family
0: well that's it, it's funny that you mentioned that because the way I came across this hunt, uh, who, I, I don't know how much we'll get into it, It's pretty late over here on the East coast, but, um, yeah, the Hunter Hendricks hunt is, is the dude in the band liturgy. Um, and yeah, I, the way I found him was through looking at other hunt, another hunt in California or, or sorry, sorry, Texas. Um, same same Dallas area. This this guy uh connected to some really weird uh, occult music stuff. Uh mm. he's a Rosicrucian. Just really, really out there and that's how I, I just stumbled across this guy and found a, a totally new rabbit hole. But you know, there's D Howard hunt and uh just all these all these hunts around that area and connected to, to J F K and Really weird.
1: And E. Howard Hunt's son plays in a blues band. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> just, just. <laughs> not, his E. Howard Hunt's son, his name is St. John Hunt. He's named after the St. John of Freemasonry. The Putnick. Yeah, yeah, so, um, and, um, and yeah, uh, one time Alex Jones interviewed St. John Hunt. Oh, really? Wow. And he 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 plays in a blues band. So if anybody wants to uh, check, look into that rabbit hole, I'm sure that would be interesting.
3: But then this H.L. Hunt guy oh. was considered the richest dude on the planet, which that's interesting. I it, you don't hear that much about him, but then, like you're referencing there, that they based. I guess they loosely based the Dallas television series on on him.
1: What would he be J.R. Ewing? Well, the, yeah. Well, the hunts, you know, the, exactly, the, yeah. The hunts are like the hunts being the richest people on the planet are the same thing as like when they say like Malcolm Forbes was one of the richest guys in the world or
3: Right, which I don't believe you know, that he actually was, but for somebody that was considered <laughs> that rich he's not they're not that's not necessarily a household name you know what i'm saying like like a rockefeller no i
1: i think i think at one time in america hl, HL hunt was a pretty well known right yeah probably um, back in the in his yeah,
3: prime yeah back in the
1: 50s, 50s or 60s like 50s. i remember my dad i remember my dad making references to hl hunt like and I, I remember not getting what he was saying. He was saying like he's got more money than H. L. Hunt.
0: <laughs>
1: and then me me being like, Who's that? Like so I do I do I really honestly have that recollection of my dad saying that.
3: <laughs> what did like? He's like son- but he's yeah. like
1: saying he's saying it way after it's out of vogue, like, you know. <laughs> right. That's <what's> funny. <laughs>
3: But it's like Sons tried to corner the silver market. That they must be pretty damn rich to corner the freaking silver market. I mean, that's you'd have to have some money to.
0: Yeah.
1: Take yeah, they were. They, they tried to corner the silver market, but um, Aaron Russo held them off at the pass. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, it did all come crumbling down on them, as according to the story. Silver
1: Thursday. Yeah, so so that article, that article, there's posted up at um, Four Horses Blog. It's pretty lengthy. Um, a, a decent amount of work was put into it by Kyle there when he's um, not busy fighting fighting off the Disney Corporation. He's writing articles at Four Horses Blog. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's really. Uh, We're just copying and pasting. Thanks.
1: What about what about Mr. Destroy out in the Phoenix, out in the Rising, the Firebird Rising Sun area there?
0: Oh uh, well, let's see.
3: Oh, real quick, uh, let me interject.
0: Um, I let me interject I something real quick. That.
3: I'm, I'm, I'm going to give y'all a plug. On the right hand side of hoaxbusterscall.com is a link to the four horses asses of the apocalypse. In, in case you don't want to type all that into the URL, just go to hoaxbusterscall.com and then it, it's there's a direct link to it.
1: And yeah. I I actually do that myself quite often.
3: Yeah, go through. It's all so handy links there. Yeah
1: all the
0: yeah i i use those
1: links a lot i'll check you know i do that with Hoaxbusters a lot like no matter what it is it's like that that sidebar is really handy it's like oh i'm going to go check out uh four horses or fake all questioning our reality or a a morris and they're they're all right there so just use the the porthole through Hoaxbusters. It's uh Yeah,
0: I gotta say I like true. I really like questioning our reality uh and AA myself. So that's yeah. a plug for me as well. Oh yeah, cool. you always oh, yeah, get good. some kind of
3: mind blowing nugget on either you know, either one of those. I uh, yeah, I highly re- highly recommend those. Yeah, real good. But uh oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, it was it, Nino's was talking. Richard. Richard. Richard's got yeah, the floor.
0: Um I don't know. I have a couple of uh, little tidbits or things that I've come across just in the past couple of days, kind of looking through some stuff. But I guess I'll, I'll go in order of things we've sort of mentioned. So, thing that stood out to me in that, also in that John Joseph interview I was listening to, uh, saying that um, with the Saturday 8 live fear show that that went on, that. Ian got him into that show so or to that you know to that filming of the whole Saturday Night Live thing I thought that was pretty interesting just because I know Ian was said to have been there and there was only I mean Wait. how many people were really there you yeah. know
1: but tell tell the audience who Ian is
0: oh sorry uh, Ian McKay um, okay. or Mackay I guess Ian Mackay oh, Ian according Mackay. to Henry Rollins I know uh, yeah, he uh singer and frontman of Minor Threat, Teen Idols, uh, Fugazi, definitely around, Discord Records, uh, we've talked about him. and
1: Just
2: and make, his sure,
0: make, sure you,
1: make sure you uh, pronounce it correctly, it's Ian McKay.
0: It's right, Ma- yeah. Yeah, I am. Ian McKay, <laughs> although I always heard it as Ian McKay, but in more recent times you're a become aware it's uh, Makai and I think we had uh, well we got his dad on an interview uh, a couple little interviews there on um, over at Old Religion Dystopia and he he also corrected us as saying it was Makai so I guess that's the official pronunciation Um, but anyhow yeah I thought that was interesting that Ian Ian, down in D.C., got John Joseph up in New York. He got him into that SNL filming of Fear, which you know, that whole thing was interesting just in itself. But I have another quote from well, John, John Joseph. I'm not with
1: Hold on. Oh, hold on real, real quick. So here's, here's what happened. Saturday Night Live, they have a band play. If no one's familiar with Saturday Night Live, they have a they have a guest and then they have a musical guest
3: and it's on uh um, it's on the that television invention I, yeah they, they come out with that with yeah. the,
1: with the <laughs> if you're not familiar um, if you're not familiar with television it's this thing no but um yes yeah, yes yeah, so they have a, they have a guest they, they have an actor or you know whoever, and then they have a musical guest, and then the musical guest what is this 1984 or something it's it, they got fear fear to be the musical guest. And there was yeah, a, I
0: don't was it. Uh, I don't know the date. I think it was before that, but yeah, something. Like, it was the early eighties for sure.
1: Yeah, and then, um, they got all of these punks to come in and be in the audience, and they had a riot break out <laughs> when when Fear performed on yeah. Saturday Night Live, and they like wrecked the Saturday Night Live set and all this stuff. So, allegedly, yeah,
0: yeah, right. Allegedly. So here's the interesting quote. Uh, that John Joseph said, he said, according to John Belushi, uh, John Belushi said, we're going to show America what this this fucking shit's all about. Uh, and they were amping them up, I guess, before the filming, like getting everybody amped up. And, and the first song gets, gets got got filmed to, you know, none of the punks were down in the in the in front of the stage they were locked in a room I guess above the stage like they were able to watch from a perch and then but that's they were confined to that room and then for the second song that's when they that's when the mayhem broke out and, and but they had been I guess from what he was saying they were they were amping him up he was talking about
4: leaving and
0: John Belushi snorting lines and 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 you know they were they were just I guess the the goal was to show America what punk rock was all about. And then, so for the second song, they, they let, they let them all out, which there's a, quite a few guys, uh, notable dudes were at that show. John Joseph, obviously, and mckay uh, Dave Smalley from the Boston team, uh, Vicky Barrett, all those guys were at present at the, at the, the filming of this year on, uh, Saturday Night Live show, but yeah, so then, so the second song, they, they let these guys loose, and they tore up the set, and broken noses occurred, I guess, and, uh, and you can watch that, it's available on YouTube, you can, you can see the video of it, it's a little, a little crazy, I guess, I don't know, but that was, that was America's, uh let me drop a negative unveiling now, of punk rock.
2: Let me drop another nugget in there. Um, according to the history books, Lauren Mackay, or Lauren Mackay, Lauren Michaels called oh, Michael. Ian Mackay. <laughs> like, that's... that's right. that right. That, you know, arranged was like the king of late-night TV and television called Ian Mackay on the phone and said, can you bring some of your deep buddies down? And Belushi also wasn't on the cast of Saturday Night Live then. He was doing guest appearances, and allegedly, according to the history... Um, He said he would only do it if if, uh, Fear could play. So I just wanted to throw those little nuggets in there, too. And one more nugget is I read, like, they caused, like, $200,000 worth of damage. But then I read other accounts where um, it was like, yeah, we broke a few things. It was a couple grand. They blew it way out of proportion. So that kind of goes along with the advertising of punk being a lot more extravagant than it really is.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the whole thing seemed like advertising especially when I get that quote out of him saying that you know we're going to show America what the fuck this shit's all about like I mean what does that sound like it just sounds like advertising you know
1: well it, it's also funny too like like you guys are mentioning is is like Lorne Michaels just happens to have Ian McKay on speed dial <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know. and then he had John Joseph and whoever else on speed dial and was like, Oh you know, like he, he rounded up the troops so to speak or something. I thought that was really interesting, you
1: know. Yeah. That's you know, it's it's just interesting too because um that's that's who Lauren Michaels calls, so, oh, we need to get some punks down here for the audience. Let's call up Ian Mackay
2: in <laughs> D- in D C
1: to make that happen. And then and and, and then you know, being anti establishment of course You know, getting a call from Saturday Night Live on NBC, Ian McKay, of course, complies with that. He doesn't like tell them to like go f themselves, you stuffed shirt, NBC mother effers. I'm anti-establishment. No, he of course says, yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely get some people down there. (laughs) I'll have my people call your
0: people. Well, and then you, you look at the notable people there. That I, I just—I'm sure there's more to mention too. I know there's more because I have a list and mm, some other notes, and I, that of people that were said to have been there. But I mean, just the few that I mentioned there: Dickie Barrett, the Mighty Mighty Boston, John Joseph, the Crow Mags, Ian Like that—that's some pretty notable figures in the whole scene. And they just—you know—yeah, they were just—they were just there. They were just happened to. The- show up and all that it's like wow okay yeah I thought that was uh
1: that's pretty funny
0: interesting noteworthy yeah What,
1: what what else do you want to talk about
0: so let's see okay I don't know I um I don't know if there's much here on this but I was just started poking around in ministry um Sure. and wax tracks I was looking into that a little bit and uh, and why that was relevant to, oh I know because mentioned Alex Jones that's another Alex Jorgensen of ministry uh, the front guy of ministry he was another, he's He's had quite a few cameos on, on the Infowars so our Alex Jones show which is always interesting to to point you know the
1: the musical
0: truthers out there out you
1: know um New but, uh, World yeah he's a go ahead A New World World a Ministry Song New World yeah. Order <laughs> that's a good bush. oh yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs>
0: yep exactly yep.
2: Jorgensen was in a band with Ian McKay called Palehead too
1: oh really wow Ian right.
2: McKay Yep. He he, the industrial too. And yeah, Mason, you got it. So now Jar- Jar- Jorgensen, pill oh,
1: him, got to,
2: pill, oh, hit, pill, pill
0: got to On him,
2: bombs. We got bombs. Pill, 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 pill.
0: Really, I didn't even know that. Okay, because I was like, saw some of it, and I was like, I don't know if there's anything important here or what, but it, it was definitely noteworthy. Weird stuff. So. Tailhead was such a disappointment, like uh, a a
1: weird, just from a teenage, not knowing what something sounds like, but, but you go, you tailhead. Uh Uh-oh, will you lose, John? And thinking it's going to to remember.
3: No, here, hello? Breaking up, breaking up.
1: Can you hear me?
0: Yeah. I'm it's here. Kind of like, yeah, it's not kind of like I cut out for a bit.
1: Yeah, you cut I, out. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Yeah. No, I was saying how yeah. how big of a bummer purchasing a Pale Hit album was back when I was a teenager. <laughs> because oh, okay. I thought it I thought it was gonna, I thought it was gonna be punk. And then I bought it and I was like, I'm all oh my. I can't believe I just wasted money on that. <laughs> <laughs> this is people listening to this who who didn't know the frustration of of, of times before being able to check something out on YouTube beforehand um oh,
3: yeah. going to when you, had, when you
1: had to buy it yeah you had to buy albums to see what they sounded like
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and <laughs> On, on Jorgensen. That's huge. You ever yes, listen Matthew. to
3: Jorgensen on an interview? Uh,
2: he, he sounds to... like he's
3: done a lot of drugs in his life. Like he's just here, here here, yeah, mind bombed. Well,
0: that's one of the There's weird things thing I have noted on him. Perfect. He, he's a, yeah, he's a big drug addict, but nowadays he only limits himself to beer, wine, and pot. <laughs> but, <laughs> Lots you know, he's a reformed drug guy, all these issues, mass, all this stuff. But now he, he's well, able to just well, keep it at you know, no, that's fine or something. Let me tell you about his therapy tactics. Okay. <laughs> okay. So he was trying, I guess the story goes, according to Al Jorgensen's uh, autobiography, uh, which came out, I think, a year or two ago, uh... You know, he was he was off the hard stuff trying to get clean. And him and Gibby Haynes, uh, the singer of the butthole surfers, uh move they they move in to Timothy Leary's home. Uh, <laughs> 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 and uh, Timothy Leary, uh, you know, according to Al Jorgensen, is receiving FedEx packages uh from the government and from every laboratory in the nation, uh, of all kinds of <laughs> experimental, uh, psychoactive drugs. And, uh, his guinea pigging the two of them, uh, Jorgensen and Gibby Haynes. Uh, and, uh, Jorgensen describes his, uh, his trips and said not a one of them was, was pleasant. Uh, he he talks about how horrific they were, with spiders coming out of every orifice, and uh, he he even goes on to say how how he would wake up, uh, just wake up on the couch, and and his dick would be out, and it would be wet, and Timothy <laughs> Leary would be sitting on the other side of the room staring <laughs> at him.
2: <laughs> I I tried to put that in Wikipedia. I tried to I tried to put that in Wikipedia, uh. and it lasted like two days and they took it down <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh,
2: another another like just detail um and this is Kyle's work it's fucking some of my favorite, but he's having him inject ayahuasca and mix it with stuff, so and he's having to mix it with mundane stuff like cough syrup. And I just recently recently read this stuff. That's why it's kind of fresh. But, yeah, so they, he was having him do a lot of in, ayahuasca injections and then mixing it with all kinds of other drugs. So, and, and, and the terms, like, in the interview, too, like, the actual words used in the interviews and the articles are, like, um, like, guinea pigs. Like, they volunteered to be guinea pigs, and they knew they were volunteering to be guinea pigs for Timothy Leary as long as they had a place to live. Yeah, listen
3: to an Al Jorgensen interview if you yeah. want to see a reason why not to do drugs. Because that guy... <laughs> yeah, you can just tell, like, like something is... like He's got a chunk of his brain missing or something, like when he's talking. I'm, I'm no kidding. The guy is, like, yeah. just... Yeah. like He's kind of, like...
1: He's just barely coherent. No, he he's good. He's, like... I would... I would pay to hear a Gary Busey Interviews Al Georgeson <laughs> interview. I would pay for that. Uh,
0: so. well, so, another thing, uh, according to my afro, he had were uh, in the band Lard together. Jello right. and yeah, uh, that's right. Al Georgeson had a band called... Okay.
4: Okay.
0: okay well he says uh, that the Johnny Depp pirate uh, character from you know the Disney Pirates movie that is based on that that image that Johnny Depp play that 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 you know that character and all the, that was based on al Jorgensen's way of dressing you guys hear that well, I, that's, that's new to me uh, but I can I can spin. Um, with that as well, um, Johnny Depp, uh, was also in a band called P, uh, along with Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Johnny Depp. Uh, so Gibby Haynes, Flea, Johnny Depp were all in this band together and they were playing, uh, at the Viper Room, which was owned by Johnny Depp. Uh, When River Phoenix, the 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 same night that uh, River Phoenix, yeah, yeah, died. Okay, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Timothy Leary's home uh, was completely paid for by Winona Ryder's father, and Winona Ryder was dating Johnny Depp. Uh, Johnny Depp at the time.
3: (laughs) You know, and then Philip K. Dick was Winona Ryder's godfather or something like that.
1: So it was Timothy
3: Leary. So it was Timothy. Oh, oh, is that that's that's what I like? I got switched around. Okay, Timothy Leary is her father.
1: Well,
3: right, right. Okay. I
1: I can't remember if if Leary's her godfather or if he's like related to her somehow, but um,
0: godfather. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, her, her. Yeah, her dad was buddies with um, Leary, and then. Exactly. Then another another thing is uh, Johnny Depp is buddy buddies with um, uh, the West Memphis Three guy. Oh, yeah yeah, Eccles. yeah. yeah, yeah. He's got, like, him and Eccles have the same tattoo, and they're, like, blood brothers, and Depp's all, you know, into occult stuff, so... um that Damien Eccles guy is like a rock star now with amongst Hollywood celebrities,
0: yeah,
1: and so yeah,
3: yeah, the reason why I was saying why why i said um- the reason why I was saying yeah. philip the I was saying philip k dick and and that was her godfather, she was in that movie scanner darkly, and then uh that was. Uh, with Alex Jones. With Alex Jones, yeah, yeah. And that was based on right. a Philip K. Dick novel, yeah, and then yeah, Alex Jones. Yeah. That. But that's like full of, they they right. got all kinds of Masonic uh, symbology through, all throughout that, but it's like a rotoscope, so it's kind of like a a cartoon, but it's like drawn over real uh, f- film, and uh, it's but then they loaded it down with uh, like all these uh, symbols and stuff, like they have like a Knights Templar. Ship on the mantle, and it's like kind of in this rundown house, and they also have the, like the like a, a square and compass, a G on the other wall. It's just listen, like loaded.
0: Listen, Chris,
1: Chris, I know Rick, I know Rick Linkletter, Okay, <laughs> he's not, he's not a Freemason, he's not a Knights Templar. Okay, look, look, they're they're just doing that stuff because it's cool. Okay, it's cool for like Hollywood people. Okay, <laughs> I mean, I was I was in the movie. I was there I mean nobody was nobody was giving each other Masonic handshakes or anything like that I mean I mean my grandfather was a Freemason but he was a good Freemason and he told me not to get involved hey, with it me. I mean my family comes from the people who started the state of Texas and they were Rosicrucians who fought at the Alamo <laughs> <laughs>
0: up the mayflower yeah. I'm glad we I didn't even realize Alex was on this call, but I'm glad he was
1: <laughs> no, um
0: I yeah go. I have a couple other things I was gonna say with Jorgensen. Um, it might not be earth shattering, but uh but also so, so okay. He he he, he claims to be like in community like communication aliens. You guys heard that? Who yes. Is? Okay. I I haven't yeah. written any, written anything about that, but uh, yeah. What, what do you? Yeah, think that? I, thought, I thought that was pretty interesting. Like, okay, he we'll talked to aliens.
3: <laughs> I'm sorry. Who is this again? I I, I missed that.
1: Maybe Al George, was... Al Jorgensen. Oh, okay. Okay.
3: Uh, we're still talking about Al Jordan, all right. So he's into ancient aliens, okay? That, I I would think, yeah. After all those drugs, he's. probably... Uh, yeah, well, he's,
0: he he claims that he was into ancient aliens before ancient aliens. He he wants he says he had his like hidden passion type thing. If if he could do something, you know, if he had to do something other than music and all, he'd be like a professor on 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 you know some of the ancient alien cosmology, different things, you know, from from prehistory history, I guess, is what, is what the terminology don't, is, well, but you don't know, what,
1: that. You know, it's interesting, now that I think about it, he might be more entertaining than Giorgio Tsoukalos, that is true, <laughs> to watch, talk about ancient aliens. I might rather listen to Al Jorgensen talk about ancient aliens than Giorgio Tsoukalos. Oh, that would be
0: great for them yeah, to team up yeah I could I could appreciate that
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: if, you, if you go if you if you ever watched that show Giorgio Suclos is the guy with like the crazy hairdo he's total yeah he's a he's a meme right the meme but he didn't yeah.
0: have like 16 rings in his face huh
1: no he did yeah not as cool
0: looking as yeah, that's, uh, that's where they need to the merge yeah I'm I've got something else uh, on Jorgensen. Uh, I think Rich and Chris uh, spoke on the last punk call about um, the uh, dueling firemen uh, with Devo yeah. had oh, Mark yeah. Mothersbaugh in it and uh, right. Timothy Leary and yeah the the plane crash and the the video game with the the dual crash uh, into the building uh, that video which. Uh, is really disturbing and, and seems like some kind of uh, brainwashing, or I, I don't know, like a like a trauma to, to even sit and watch this trailer for the for the game. Um, that video segment was was directed by a guy named Flood, uh, and Flood is most famous for his music production, uh, and he produced. The, the first album for, for Ministry, which is Al Jorgensen's biggest band uh, and and he produced a lot of like really groundbreaking, uh, I guess mainstream kind of albums like for Nine Inch Nails and stuff, but yeah, then he goes on to do this weird what to me seems like uh, predictive 9-11 programming uh, video which yeah, I made a, a separate post about there's there's all these Al Jorgensen nuggets just floating floating around everywhere. Yeah, that is bizarre. By the way,
1: I I absolutely am not a ministry listener. I don't like any industrial music. But the first ministry album actually sounds like something, like New Order or something. It's, it's totally bizarre because if you yeah. listen... To, <laughs> yeah,
0: very
1: new. Yeah, if you listen to any of the other ministry stuff, it's totally unlistenable, at least from in my opinion. But yeah, the first album... I, Like uh, it's pretty funny if you think about what they became, and then they're kind of like, yeah, they're kind of like flock of seagulls or something. Yeah,
0: exactly. Looking even you just look at the pictures; you don't have to listen to anything. Look at the pictures, and it's like it's a total 180. Like just a couple of years after. Yeah, that happens to bands
3: like the band the Cult. Like they they had the similar trajectory where they started out kind of like a new wave. And then they had put out an album. What was it? Electric. I think it's like, and it sounded. Their original release of it sounded completely different. And then it was uh, God. What, who Whoever their producer of that album was, uh, Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin. Yeah. Okay. So Rick Rubin takes these bands and gives them their identity. Basically, they start out. Some, ministry is probably the same. Same. In the same category in that respect. Yeah,
1: Rick Rubin you know another guy who does this is bob rock um bob rock he'll um a lot of a lot of bands you know mutt lang or roy thomas baker the producers kind of like take a band and then they they give them their sound right you know it's like oh we're gonna you know uh, turn you into it so it's like you can you can listen to um uh, the cult, the cult record after Electric is done by Bob Rock. Um, what's it called? Sonic, Sonic, Sonic Temple. Temple, Masonic Temple, Masonic yeah, Temple. Um, um, yeah, Bob Rock produced that one. But then after that, he produced Doctor Feelgood by Motley Crue, and like they kind of sound the same. It's weird. It's like they're two different bands, but like they, the records have these similar sounds.
3: Yeah, where it goes in kind of a like harder a, edge, kind of pop. Not quite pop, but kind of harder, yeah, like a harder edge kind of where yeah. where, yeah, where the previous album was just kind of more raw and straightforward. That's the only cult album mm-hmm. I've ever listened to, is that uh, electric? I thought that was the only one that was any good, but uh, yeah,
1: yeah so the, like, yeah. the Rick Rubin, yeah. it's interesting bringing up Rick Rubin because he would actually play into a lot of this conversation as well. Um, Nino knows a lot about Rick Rubin, too, but if you go, you know, right up the street from where we were talking about uh, with the Viper Room, that's where Rick Rubin's house is. And, of course, Rick Rubin's house is a very famous house because I can't remember who whose house it is. I think it was the Houdini house in Laurel Canyon. and
0: That sounds right.
1: Yeah, and, and like, a lot of bands have recorded there. Um, the most you know, the most famous one with the most overt message is Red Hot Chili Peppers' Blood Sugar Sex Magic album was recorded there. And then, like, there was interviews in Rolling Stone magazine at the time where they're asking him about the album. And they're saying, yeah, we, you know, had some experiences with some spirits and you know, all throughout the recording, we were reading occult books and doing rituals while we were recording the album and, um, yeah, nice, you know, nice stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So they call it um, the mansion. I know the mansion. Yeah. And like a bunch, a bunch of different bands claim that they've had, um, scary stuff happen to them while they've been recording there.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, i the same, you know, uh, sort of... Well, go ahead if you got more to say.
1: I was going to say that um, Rick Rubin was in a punk band in New York.
0: Yep. From Long Island. Yep.
1: <laughs> yep. And Rick Rubin is, of course, famous for uh, basically being one of the first people to pioneer the commercialization of rap music with his partner, Russell Simmons, in Def, yeah. Jam, yep. Def yep. Jam music, where... Uh, it was basically Russell Simmons was putting out Public Enemy and the Beastie Boys, which the Beastie Boys were a punk band before they were the Beastie Boys. Yep. And then Rick Rubin went all the way to the opposite side of the spectrum and said, yeah, I'm going to put out Slayer. <laughs> wow.
0: But yeah, there's, there's
1: a, but interesting, just real quick, just interestingly enough, that would play into something much larger because that's basically the nexus point for the whole nineteen late nineties, uh, early two thousand merging of rap rock, new metal. Um, okay. That's kind of where it begins. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it kind of begins right there with you know like Anthrax, yeah,
0: Linkin Park, and all those things.
1: Yeah, all that stuff comes out of anthrax meets public enemy slayer meets I can't, Sl- slayer did a collaboration with somebody i can't remember who it was but um yeah that, that's kind of that that label and that idea right there comes out of that and of course um rick rubin is a buddhist and russell simmons is a is a um is a member of the david lynch uh foundation for uh transcendental meditation and one of the things that he promotes i'm just going off the top of my head here russell simmons promotes (laughs) making prisons vegetarian (laughs) no man
0: (laughs) he's very into veganism yep he's a huge proponent
1: and schools schools you know david lynch is all into that too like making schools vegetarian um yeah, bizarre stuff.
3: Yeah,
0: can you hear all this me, stuff? You know, on right. that note, I, there was more to say. Let me drop
2: a Reuben nugget. We got um, a story about Genesis P. Orridge was at Rick Rubin's house, and they were recording for this band that I used to like, actually, called Love and Rockets,
1: and there was a Love, fire. Love and Rockets was a um, Bauhaus offshoot.
2: Yeah, I I liked them. I was in the Looney Bin when they came on tour. <laughs> they uh they were recording at Reuben's house in '95, and Genesis Peorage was there hanging with Eleven Rockets, and a fire broke out, and Genesis Poirige had to like jump out of a window, <laughs> and he got he she it uh, got really really hurt, <laughs> and sued Rick Reuben for one point five million dollars and won and use that money to do the cosmetic stuff to become androgynous. So Rick Rubin actually bought like uh Genesis Peorage process church member the um the changes, the physical changes to surgery and alteration. Because yeah, you know, <laughs> Genesis George uh, had to jump out a window onto a concrete ground a couple stories down and got really <laughs> jacked up. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, gen-
3: uh, this, uh, this gender bending stuff is uh, if, now that you kind of you're seeing this um, this cultural shift going on <laughs> with those gender bending and all that. That that's something that's been a theme throughout punk rock. Like that uh band Fear was on SNL, the guy's wearing a dress on there and then uh I was just listening to something yeah. about uh oh, I was listening to a little bit of uh Joe Rogan where he's got the singer a tool on there and then he's referencing some video and then uh I I took a look at that and it was just like this yeah, it was a really stupid video, but it came out in October and then it's got, it's it's all of a Trump theme, Donald Trump theme, in this video, this May- Maynard King's video for his song. And the, and the song doesn't really, I, th- I think it's like I mean, the lyrics of the song sound like he's talking about Trump, but this was like October pre-election and he wasn't, Trump wasn't even ele- uh, uh, elected yet. So it's like, um, of, of course, you know, it could be uh, in reference to the campaign or whatever, but like, why would you put out a music video uh, that's promoting the release of a new album and then it, with it with because remember, like nobody knew Trump was going to win. He won by an upset. Right. He totally overturned the Alpacart and got got in there by some, you know, the, you know, the Russians or whatever, whatever the theme is now that they're pushing. But like, why why do you want to have like a major video <laughs> of a release have such a potential short shelf life that doesn't make any sense? I was wondering about that. It's like, okay, why, why Maynard, mm. are you putting this video out? That's, that's the and the and your song is sort of central. It's like the theme is around uh, Trump and how bad he is and how you know he needs to be taken down, like he's this monster. And it's like this is pre-election. This is pre-election. So yeah,
1: it's you know. interesting.
0: Well, I, I, I,
3: but he's got I, tits in this video too. That's why it's gender bending too in there he's it's animated, but he's got he they drew him with the the Maynard guy they drew him with boobs it's like all it's like you see this stuff all throughout punk and and, and rock and stuff like that, but that's another, and of course it's like pushing this agenda, same thing with the gender bending and all the shit.
1: Sorry.
2: May- Maynard Maynard went to uh, Keenan went to uh, United States Military Academy Prep School which is <laughs> West Point Prep and he also was in the Army in the 80s in the military in the 80s
1: <laughs> yeah and, and one one thing I will say about Tool or any of those bands I think I think Nina, I think Nina really remember this time um there was this time period in the '90s when like hardcore, like hardcore started to show up on radio, like radio-friendly hardcore bands, and Tool was one of them. Helmet, where
0: yeah.
1: it was, it was you know and and later you know later on like the beast get her obviously hard like it, it it all went down the line where you saw this um influence starting to pop stuff that was more radio and MTV friendly you know they're not going to have um uh, well, to refer you know to reference something you know you used to listen to they're not going to have integrity or neurosis on on MTV and uh and uh, playing on the radio, right? But they can—they had these more kind of radio-friendly bands. And Tool, I think that first their first album kind of has that transition sound, and then they kind of migrated into the phenomenon that they became. Yeah, where they were more yeah, yeah it's kind—it's kind of. I was gonna
0: weird. say uh, with.
1: Uh, well, I was going to no, say real quick, is, is we don't, is a lot of people don't fact, because every everybody gets hung up on this thing, I'm not saying any of you guys, I'm just saying people in general, they get hung up on this thing that punk is outside of corporate, it's outside of the mainstream, it's on the fringes, it's always associated with that, but like, a lot of a lot of stuff that is you know totally corporate, totally mainstream is totally influenced by the that sound. So yep, it
0: actually
1: it actually comes out of that scene, out of. Yep. And talking about wearing dresses, think about how many bands in the '90s you know, Nirvana. Nirvana pretty much like popularized the idea of the idea of dresses um uh there were some there were some other bands who who would come and play um i think red hot chili Peppers used to wear dresses when they played
0: That's right.
1: um but definitely nirvana um for a while there i think the bass player oh, yeah, was, there's a ton of i think nirvana just the bass yeah. player just wore dresses all the time. When they played.
0: Yeah. I've I've been seeing even uh rappers, uh like current rappers uh starting to dress like women and, and wear dresses. Uh, like, uh Wow. Yeah, really it, it, it's sweeping across like all, all the all the different subgenres.
3: Yeah, didn't uh, Kurt come in a dress one time? Right, he wore a dress on stage. He did it
1: more than once, didn't he? Or was yeah, it on yeah, the yeah. video? Or the something? Whole, no, the whole band. The whole band used to wear him on stage.
0: Uh, I think even on the MTV uh, Music Award performance they did. Uh, I can. I can. Seem to remember him wearing some kind of floral pattern dress. <laughs> I gotta admit, I even, I did that myself, I, uh, just for the funny sake of it, I don't, I honestly, that's the only thing I really say that my influence behind it was, is being funny and outrageous, well, but yeah, I wore dresses, uh, like, uh, one, I guess at least one or two occasions, like, uh, as far as band stuff, <laughs> you know, just trying to, I don't know, be stupid looking on stage, so. Interesting. Well, you yeah, got to put it in a further context. They
3: did. There was a lot of bands uh-huh. that wore suits and uh, stuff like that. They would go on stage in a three-piece suit and shit like that, or yeah, maybe a cocktail dress or whatever. But yeah. like any, you know, any, I guess anything goes on when you're talking about punk. But I, I was, I was, I was thinking about this, uh, yeah. like this Tool video. It's like that's I would say that's a, yet another example of um, of the cult, you know, the culture creators. Like, uh, they're, they're, they got to be in the know. They know what's coming up because, because politics and stuff is just another extension of the entertainment industry. I'm, I'm totally convinced now, like, that politics and all this shit is just theater. It's just mainly all theater. And it's all coordinated with entertainment and movies and pop music. So, yeah, if you go look at, you go kind of digging around and looking at, all the all the releases of films, of, of course, they don't just make a film in a matter of months. It's been in the hopper for years before, you know, the script and everything's already been... Pre- and then, of course, everybody knows that. But, um, yeah, and then Netflix series coming out. And then the, these films coming out. And then Tool videos coming out, which is like... They obviously had foreknowledge that Donald Trump was going to be the president of the United States. And then they have all the... Uh, Cultural references and everything there because there this is another thing too that is we've talked about this before multiple times is that you have the new the story in the news or the something featured in the news and then you have all the fictional uh corresponding things that are released to give you your th- talking points and the and the and the and filling in all the blanks for 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 the average person out there, because that's where they get their ideas about the world and how it works, is through fiction, through Hollywood, through television shows, and then that's it's a it's like a two-part binary component that works. They work in conjunction. The news media, most of the shit on there is fake, and then the politics is completely fake in theater. So it, it has to be. It's essential that it be coordinated with the Hollywood films and the and the music and all this stuff. And it's like. Now now I've been looking into this stuff for you know a couple of years now, several years this This particular aspect of fakery and everything it's just so damn obvious, man it's like this shit is so coordinated yeah it's unbelievable it's like it it's like yeah. it, it, you just keep hitting on these examples and they keep coming up. I've seen so much stuff now that I don't even bring up I don't even mention it because okay, that's another one, and it's like I forget all the stuff that I see it's like it's like they obviously <laughs> knew before they yeah. came out with this show that it was going to reference something that was going to be current in the political talking points and all that. I'm sure you can find all the, all kinds of stuff out there that's, um, uh, well, yeah. was there a series of the Americans, right? And then, like, now all this Russian shit is coming out and, like, all this stuff. And I, I don't know. I, yeah. That might be uh, stretching it to, to tie in that. But there's so many other ones, like, uh, I, I don't know. But not to no, delve it, off
1: into the You know the what, the Americans, because you know i watched i watched that series and i went back and i looked at that and the show came out right on the heels of the the whole when it first started around what 2013 or somewhere around there so okay. it it came out and it's on like what fox like fx or whatever okay so which that's funny too cuz you know
2: excellent yeah
1: you know so yeah,
2: it came, <laughs> yeah R-
1: russian spies and it's all right around the time when you know it starts yeah. up right around right. the time this whole
3: the elections start getting russian
1: yeah. well it, this is not, before not, the elections before remember the elections. remember we were talking yeah. yeah we were talking about this back in 2013 like right when we first started talking where right. it's just all of a sudden out of nowhere um Right, like Russia's our enemy again. Remember, I remember we had a conversation oh, did, about this. Yeah. In the archives, yeah. But like, see, this what? would all this be.
3: Is... I'm not. Yeah, this would all be building up to the. Not. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to because there's going to be some a, a, a preface. You know, there's going to be building up to it, and then there's going it, to it's it's building associations in people's minds. Oh, the Russians are bad again. Yeah, we did talk about that. It's like, why is the Russians bad all of a sudden again? And then, lo and behold, and then of course we talked about we we did we 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 done an awful lot of uh, kind of forecasting and looking back on stuff we've we brought up you know the alt right and then we did talk about yeah you know, Ru- why is Russia and then it's like yeah you go you go look back and then it's like yeah you could see the coordination of the media the coordination of of you know the television shows. And then, then, then of course, the election, the phony baloney theatrical shit show of the elections and all of that. And, um, I, I you know, looking back and all this stuff, and it's like, golly, man, uh, you sent me that, you were talking about the No Agenda show where they were playing, uh, some talking head, like pundits on there talking about, uh, the Russian thing and Donald Trump Jr. I was listening to that and I was like, uh, um, I was like, man, if that doesn't sound completely contrived and, and scripted, I I didn't finish what well, yeah I, I didn't finish what else they talked about because I didn't I, I only no. They,
1: what what it was, what it was is, um, No Agenda was talking about how this this phrase, this talking point, kept popping up called Oppo Research, which was short for Opposition Research, okay, and. It was just all over, you know, throughout the week that they're reviewing, it's all over the whole week. The one thing that they failed to notice was that it was popping up on the right and the left at the same time. So right people who were arguing, debating from the right were using the term, and people who were debating from the left were using the term. And the point that I was making to you was, how could that even be possible like on both sides to get a talking point about using a particular phrase um, and have anything of it at all be organic. Yeah, that's not not organic.
3: There's no way. No, uh, there's no, that's not organic. That's not happening spontaneously. Like if
1: the left, like just say this, if the left wanted to have some talking points and you all of a sudden heard left-wingers start using this word or whatever, that would make sense in the political sphere of, you know, using talking points and NLP and all that type of stuff. But for both sides to simultaneously start using the word. Yeah.
3: And it's not, like, and oh, and no, it's no, not using not the, the word, word in word. reference to the way, what they're using. They're using it. Yeah. At the same time, as if they, you know, they're, they're, well, I don't know. They both know got a, a script yeah they both have a script exactly yeah. and if you listen to them talking, it's like, man, that sounds just like like a pro it's a lot like pro wrestling. It's like they get on and then they're like it, it, it's a lot of times it's it's just so obvious that they really don't have genuine emotion behind what they're saying, but they're pretending like they're getting worked up it's just like it's, it's exactly yeah. like pro wrestling over like and the stuff they're talking about too I'm like thinking about this, and it's like. Is this even freaking relevant in any context? Is, is what they're saying even relevant to what's really going on with uh, the, the so the the relationship between the United States and Russia and all that? That and I would say I would I would say no. It has nothing to do with reality. This is this is as scripted as any television show, uh, any well, any fictional series.
1: The good the. The good thing about this, you know, this new Cold War with Russia, uh, in per- pertaining to punk music, is you can bring you can now bring back the Minutemen's famous song. I'm thinking about World War III because it's all about how r- Russia <laughs> get, you're getting into a nuke war with Russia. So, um, oh yeah, there
0: you
1: that, go. That, there you are. <laughs> that that 80s punk song. Talking about being scared that Russia's going to nuke uh, America will be uh, will now be relevant again because we'll relevant. need to be s- yeah <laughs> yeah it's like this these themes keep getting recycled well, and
3: um, you know they talk about sustainability a lot I guess that's a component of it, is recycling all this old all the scripts and shit
1: I bet, keep getting repeated. I bet I bet there's punk songs being written about Russia right now like being recorded and
2: let me oh, yeah. tell you about one. There's a there's a band called uh, Straight From The Path and they have a song called Goodnight <laughs> <Big> Alt Right. <laughs> wow.
0: And I played with that band years ago. You what? I played with that band like years well, we ago, went viral. before they were big.
2: They went viral and because they they might have been bigger before, I don't know, but they're huge now because the Alt Right is blasting this song because this song is blasting the all right and the video shows like these antifa dudes lacing up their boots with red laces which on a side note in skinhead skinhead, in skinhead culture (laughs) that means red laces red braces means fascist skinhead white laces white braces means white power black braces black laces mean uh sharp i think that's what it was here in denver so they lace their boots up with red laces, fascism, and they're representing Antifa, anti-fascism. And they, uh, the song is called Good Night All Right. They basically show these Antifa dudes in the video, um, like dress up in masks, and then this guy's wearing a red hat, and it's supposed to be like one of them Trump red hats, but it doesn't say any words on it. And they go in the house and just beat the hell out of him and, <laughs> and like point a shotgun at his face. And talk about killing him. And you look at the uh, record label. Let me pull it up here real quick. That they came out on. It's called Sumerian Records. And it's it was started by this this guy out of his one room his one room apartment. He started his record label with one band, and his name was Ash Avildsen. And that's the son of John G. Avildsen. And that's the guy who made Karate Kid movies. He's the director of the Rocky movies. <laughs> he's directed a, a, a ton of major hits. And yeah, his son owns Sumerian Records, that he started out of his one room, you know. And uh, Sumerian? now he's from Sumerian Records, like you know Zacharias Sitchin.
1: Yeah, I was, I was thinking. I was thinking Ancient Aliens.
2: <laughs> it was invoked. It was invoked, but yeah, they're It's it's. So Chris was saying they recycle. I think they just amp it up. I yeah, think you get amped up with more violence, this. more sex, more drama.
3: Okay, how many yeah, music like videos get, have we seen? Yeah, how many music videos have we seen with Donald Trump getting executed? It's 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 yeah, it's insane. And then yeah, it just continue. They re- it's a re repeat. Of something that already oh, happened I in the past.
0: I didn't realize that.
1: And then, <laughs> if you want to, if have you want to hear be. the the best, if you want to hear this, just go, everybody needs to go get a copy of the first suicidal tendency records. The, the first one where they're hanging, where they're hanging upside down on the jungle gym by their feet. <laughs> <laughs> and there is a song on there called "I Shot Reagan." Oh, there you right? go. Did they show Reagan getting all his head uh, blown off in the video? No, it had got, we hadn't got to that point yet. No, no but, but the song is all about how he he's going to kill Ronald Reagan. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And rem- yeah. remember there was that article that was put out that said that basically punk rock survived off of the fact that Ronald Reagan was president and uh, every punk band had a Reagan song about how know how it was or how they wanted to get rid of how they wanted to kill him right uh-huh
3: so yeah we're just seeing a repeat of that <laughs> yeah, yeah. which uh we talked well, about ronald reagan was the push forward for punk rock back in the 80s when when it started getting really a lot of traction around that time or uh you know of course it's it started in the se- what, 70s right you or, know what 60s. you know what on that
1: Can you, can you hear me? Yeah, got a lot of noise on the yeah. line. Yeah, I can hear you. I okay. okay. So on that note, I want to bring up something. First of all, um one of the things uh I wanted to bring up was since the last time we talked, um and I know everybody on the call knows about this cuz I uh, showed it to everybody, but we confirmed that Jeff Nelson, dad... was in service work for the United Nations and the State Department. Okay. So Jeff Nelson was the drummer for Minor Threat. He's the drummer in high, And for the longest time, even when I first started doing the research initially, 2010, the only thing I could ever find out about Jeff Nelson. I mentioned this multiple Jeff the only thing I mentioned that him or his family was in from the book is um, um, Our band could Be Your Life by Michael Azared um, And it just has this throwaway line that says Jeff Nelson was a State Department brat. That's pretty much all anybody could find myself, Nino, Richard Kyle about Jeff Nelson but then I found a an article a couple of months ago where they're interviewing Jeff Nelson and he says yeah my family moved around a lot because my dad worked for the foreign service in the United Nations so his dad either worked for the foreign service the United Nations and the state department or he worked for the foreign service in the United Nations and his mom worked for the state department um most likely, his dad worked for all three, and he—he's some sort of intelligence operative, um, working in all three capacities. Um, but yeah, it's pretty—that was pretty cool to find that. But speaking of Trump, one thing that they recently um, had interviewed Jeff Nelson about, and I, I posted that up versus that was part of a back in the 80s that like caught that caught on me, where he made these t-shirts that said Mies is a pig experts agree okay. and it had to do with Ed, Ed it had to do with Edwin Meese during the Iran-Contra hearings right right and apparently somebody in the Washington DC area has taken it upon themselves to make Trump is a pig experts agree
3: Oh, there you go. It's here we go again. Wasn't that Reagan said that? Here we go again. There you go again. There you go again. (laughs) Uh,
2: Jeff Jeff Nelson was also in a band called The High Back Chairs, which had a band member named Jeff Spellman. And he went on to um, become a journalist and he he's won a Peabody, a, a, a slaver George Peabody Award. I found out George Peabody was a slaver, um, and he he won uh, won the award for recovering Katrina and the 2005 Alfred Dupont Columbia University Award coverage for the tsunami in Asia. But he went on to join CCTV America and. 2013 and covers a variety of subjects, including intelligence, defense, science and technology. And if you look at CCTV, which I've I've looked at it, it's it's like um, it's a Chinese television station, so it's like all intelligence related stuff in China. So, <laughs> so this guy definitely. Um, you know, was connected to another guy who I I suspect Spellman's in some type of intelligence field, obviously. And just a quick, another rabbit hole, Jeff Spellman was in a band called Velocity Girl, and they were uh, DC hardcore. They were on Sub Pop, um, and they had, uh, they won a platinum record for their contribution to the soundtrack for the 1995 movie Clueless. So... That's just some strings going across the board from Jeff Nelson and who he was tied to, and how they were really lucky with their DC workmanship.
3: Yeah, when I think about punk, when I think about anarchy, or fighting against a man, like, of course, the first thing that comes out comes to mind is yeah, Washington D.C. and the United Nations. That's like, it's like, oh yeah, they would. I mean, <laughs> Like, yeah, always these tie-ins here, you know, over and over. Anarchy, United Nations, punk rock, DC. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, so at a certain point, okay, I think at this point, with all these connections, I think it's pretty, it should be fairly obvious what's going on, because I've, I've seen some feedback out there saying, oh, you guys are crazy, like, making a mountain out of Mohill, you know, like, punk Punk's real, and it's uh, uh, you know it's a real real thing, which I'm not I'm not saying that there's not some grassroots aspects to it. You know, punk rock music There certainly is. Uh, there is a lot of it that's real and genuine, real people doing punk rock, no doubt. I'm not saying that, but yep. um, where I I I I think that. N- nothing is going to really get traction and become very widespread without the assistance of this machinery that's in place and this culture creation industry that I think we've thoroughly exposed here. And uh, and, I, and I think it's an it's, it's another important aspect of this is like how the you have this coordination going on you know you have the these uh foreshadowing of events and stuff too and there's just so many examples of that 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 just can't be coincidental and it makes total sense when you really think about it how it would be so adv- advantageous like in the case with the just a, that's a small minor case but with a tool video I, I i don't think that necess- necessitates the guy Atul being in the know that knowing that Donald Trump was be he might have known that okay, yeah, Donald Trump's going to be president, even though supposedly nobody else knew that and it was a surprise. But yeah, to have because he's on a major label, they're not going to release a video that's going to be culturally irrelevant in two months. That's not doesn't make sense. Alright everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of HBC Special Reports, the untold history of punk rock. Uh, we had a technical issue. John's battery ran out and that ended the call. Uh, check out hoaxbusterscall.com and check out Four Horses' Asses of the Apocalypse. Uh, there's a link to it at the Hoaxbusters Call on the right hand side. Thanks for listening everybody. All right. Keep it between the ditches.
4: The swan white, polk-mobile, bulletproof glass, casing, 33-caliber, Winchester, Mason, jar whiskey on the table. The high-powered browning. They're trying to pop your boy, I forgive him for doubting. Faith is a form of power. CIA trying to pin it on the USSR, both of them paper tigers. We're a hell of fake like wrestling. Democracy's an illusion, so is communism. Money is a joke and a trick. Capital is a fake ideology. Greed is the truest evil. <laughs> True indeed, I'm a Muslim, African, Hebrew, original, Asiatic, Israeli, <laughs> God, man, free Palestine. Life is a contradiction. Use your paradox, connect the dots, Bulgaria. Peace to the whole Bay Area. Simia, the Marriott, who am I? Victor Vasquez, the soccer player. Victor Vasquez, the Puerto Rican painter, Kool-Aid, d the Cuban arranger. The human painting, who am I? Nothing, neither are you, though. What do you know? You hella crazy, but I fucks with you, though. I know I'm hella crazy, but you fuss with me, right? If you ain't like it, go suck a right? Me, I'm getting bucked every night. Fuck the world, I'm feeling the teenage. Peeking to your boy's psychology. Never really won for pros or politics. Vision the poetry, homie, you knows me. Cool A.D., the photograph. Listen, I'm a sound in your ear, and you knowin' that? Hand me a rash, tell me you're Give me the address, I ain't give a fuck. I ain't asked to be you yo. Peace of man, you well jawing them. Curry with the shot, boy. Balling on all of them. Listen for the bars, here's all of them. Prison is a wicked psychology. Pervading across every fucking level of society. Shit, <laughs> y'all. Never fucking doubt the veracity of my aim to stop that. See me on my fuck the cops rap. Every last rap that I say, I dress that. Hundred dollar, hundred dollar, hundred dollar fucking freestyle, y'all. I'm a vegan every day, solid day, y'all. Tell me, uh, <laughs> tell me about your mom and your dad your grandparents. Oh, you rather not? Forget it then, listen to my rap for everyone. Talk is cheap, go get it, gun. Those are cheap, too. In the grand scheme of things, peace is the reality. All guns return to the earth like gemstones. Swords in the plowshare. When does it all end? Blood fuse. Bottom line's ripped with an eye pen, red ink.
0: Plus